I've got these fucking claws. What do I do now? Thorn in Your Side is a podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples, land that always was and always will be Aboriginal land. While there's air that is breathed and water that nourishes and provides, ownership of this land remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in the ongoing quest for self-determination and reclamation of land. Hi, you've reached Dawn on your side. My name's Michael. I go by M on the internet. And one of the things I've got to get into the habit now of doing is hit the like button on the Thorn in Your Side Facebook page. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get to the point of selling merch or not, but buy the imaginary merch. So I've got with me a fellow called John, who you're all very familiar with by now. Now, uh, we've uh, set ourselves a bit of homework for this episode. Um, we, uh, we listened to uh, the Wolverine podcast, uh, a couple of seasons worth of it, and... Uh, John left his homework to the dead last minute. Um, well, in, in my defence, uh, <laughs> I was listening to the last episode and it got to the point where you get that, that end music. And yeah. And you called me. Yeah. And then I answered the call and then I assumed, oh, well, that was the end of the show. And then as you pointed out, actually, no, there's about another five minutes, which... Because beforehand I was saying, well, it really finished in a weird place. I didn't get closure, but I have got closure now. I think what they're going to try to do is a Marvel podcast universe. Yeah, which I, I wonder if there is the need, <laughs> whether people are really that that keen on, on a, another comic book universe. But, you know, certainly it's, um, it's different. In regards, well, it's it's interesting, right? Because there's a long history of these sort of radio plays, you know, and and dramatic readings and stuff. So um, certainly, there's that famous um, War of the Worlds radio play, you know, that that made people think allegedly made people think that there was an invasion mm. uh, from Mars. Although there is a lot of talk that that's over over exaggerated. It really wasn't that bad. But yeah, this is. Um, Along those lines, which is is interesting because we we do have a market out there for obviously books being read, uh, audio audio sort of books, um, but it's interesting, yeah, to have like a radio play as a podcast and yeah, I mean for me, I I like the podcast because it's Wolverine, and uh, these days it's like I'll I'll listen to anything if they get the voice right. I felt like they got the voice right. Um, the guy who played Wolverine is actually the dude who plays Thorin Oakenshield in the um, in the Poor Hobbit trilogy. <laughs> no, it's the Hobbit trilogy because there's Lord of the Rings after that, isn't there? Yeah. It goes back about like a decade or so, that trilogy, so um, I had to jog my brain a bit. But anyway, Richard Armitage is his yes. name, and I reckon he does his best Stephen Blum impersonation. And for the deep-cut geeks out there... Stephen Blum is a well-known Wolverine cartoon voice and he's also lent his voice, I think, to Wolverine incarnations in video games, I believe. Okay. Yeah. It is interesting for you to say what really made it for you was the voice of a comic book character because I find, you know, comic book characters really, by their nature, they're comics, you read them, they don't have a voice, but you're right, there is, and I'm, I wasn't really that big into to X-Men cartoons, um, but certainly when I heard his voice, I was going, yeah, that, that's clearly Wolverine, they didn't have to mm. let me know. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And if I recall, I don't even think the character Wolverine appears in the first episode. Yeah, it's a subtle reveal in the first, first season. Well, I, I, you say subtle reveal, it's called Wolverine. Like, yeah. it's clear that Wolverine is turning up. And I think there were a couple of episodes there where, and certainly the first one, I'm pretty sure we didn't really, we heard about Wolverine and, you know, there was, like, I don't know how much we want to give away. Like, should we make a warning if, if people, 
if people want to go and listen to it, that they should go and listen to it and then come back to this podcast. I mean, do we worry about spoilers about a, a radio play podcast? Or if, if you really, we're going to give things away. We're going to talk about it. We're going to break it down. So if you if you like, wait a minute, I think I want to listen to it, to this podcast, then they should go and listen to it, then come back to this episode. If they have listened to it, great, stay with us. If you don't really care, just stay with us anyway. So... I found the first episode really interesting because you've got the the two you know special agent characters basically interviewing people and talking to each other and that's the first episode which sets the context of you know what's going on what 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 they're investigating and they really dominate uh, definitely the first half of the first season and maybe even the whole season mm. um, so it really gets into um, the uh, crime thriller genre. yeah yeah there is there, there's lots of things that you don't know at the beginning. Like, you know, this is a Wolverine podcast, like, because it's called Wolverine, mm. even though I don't think he, he turns up in the first episode. It's interesting how you say that, John, because I remember the title card for the first podcast. There's Wolverine, The Long Night, but you, you see this mountainscape and it's dark and we're conditioned to see front cover comics of Wolverine claws doing some acrobatic leap about to rip something to shreds and he's got phlegm coming out of his mouth um yeah that didn't really live to our expectations so they they took things somewhere else immediately didn't they yeah they definitely well as I said they, they definitely took it slow in the beginning where we don't see Wolverine or we what I say see with this thing we don't hear Wolverine hear what he's done and we hear people talking about him or whatever but yeah so it was and i guess that's what you can do with a podcast you're right because one i'm not i mean this was a premium podcast on stitcher and now like i got mine on apple um and i think that's their plan is they they release it early on stitcher and then um you know release it on other platforms later on so if you're a, you're a premium subscriber you'll get it so when it came out in Stitcher, you pretty much had to pay for it. But these days you can get it for free. Although I think they've tacked on some ads. Uh, that's the catch. There was, there was, it was interesting because there was spaces for ads when I was listing certainly season two. They were oh, like, you know. You uh, didn't get ads. No, they would say, oh, we'll be back, you know, in a, in a moment after this ad. And then yeah. there was no ad, which is something that happens with podcast when i think they're trying to sell local ads hmm. so i know some of the podcasts i listen to from slate i'll be listening to them and they'll have an ad for 7-eleven one of the best ones i was listening to a slate podcast and they had an ad which didn't identify who it was but it basically told me how important mining was to the new south wales economy and i almost okay. sort of wrote to slate and went do you know what they're doing? And I almost wrote to the New South Wales Mineral Council as well because I'm like, that's clearly you guys doing the ad. But in the ad, no one ever says, you know, on behalf of the New South Wales Mineral Council, I just said, uh, you know, mining is great. It's very important. You know, your mobile phone has stuff from mines in it. You know, we're keeping the economy going during COVID. So there's a bit of an incongruence there between the ad and the actual subject matter of the podcast. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, but anyway, my, so when I, I listen to it on Apple, it's, there was space for ads mm. and occasionally there was an ad, but often they would say, you know, a word from our sponsors and then there was nothing and it just went straight back to the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I might also suggest that uh, you do have your um, more darker options to, to find the podcast episodes. Well, I know, I know we were going through that that funny sort of thing and then I just ended up looking at my podcast on my my, my iPhone and it was there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think we were uh, – because I remember when it came out, and I remember thinking, oh, this is interesting. And then I remember thinking, oh, I'd have to su subscribe to something. I'm not doing that. And I didn't do it. So I assumed it wasn't available. But, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, the first episode, I um, I signed up to Stitcher in the premium. And uh, and then as soon as I finished listening to the series, I, I opted out. I think you'd have to pay like a month's subscription yeah. or something. And then that's it. You're, you're booted. But the... Added extra that I got from the premium package was that um, you got to listen to the podcast after show. Oh, yes. I uh, did not have that experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what's uh, put the seed in my head, actually, for our chat, John, because they really unpacked it and they they appreciated the fact that there was something new going on here, that it was a podcast 
based upon a comic book character, but a modern day slant on it. So that was the immediate thing I was doing when I was listening to these podcasts, thinking how much of this is going to be like the radio serials. Yeah. Like I know that's how DC comics started cutting past the comic Rubicon by going into first think radio and then think TV, cinema, um, and then you, you go decades after that, then into the digital world. But listening to it's the podcast, like it wasn't like there was a lot of verbal, there was a lot of yeah, a lot of vocal stuff, a lot of sound effects, but they weren't working overtime. The actors saying, "Oh, we're in a very secluded area," and "Oh my God, look at the skies! You can see all the stars!" Like they weren't. They weren't going to those those lengths. I think they were leaving a lot to the audience's imagination, I think. And also a benefit was the fact that there were characters there that, that people know. And I think to a lot of people in the audience, know quite intimately. It's interesting you say doing something new when in actual fact, yeah, they're doing something really old. Like, mm. you know, there was the Superman comic and then as soon as that was popular, they made a Superman radio show. So actually <laughs> the, first, the first superhero, you know, this is what happened. Um, but it is something unique out there. It certainly isn't something that um, I can think of in my podcast travels, everything I listen to, anything that was like this. Have you heard other podcasts where there's been uh, such a liberal use of Foley Studios? Do you know what I mean when I say that? No, tell me what you mean. All right. Uh, you know how you hear all those sound effects? Yeah. So I think Wolverine kills wildlife at one point. Like they don't literally find some animals and start strangling them what they do is that they find noises that would approximate that. So they, And that's where they can get quite um, innovative. So that's a very common thing in movies. So they'll have a Foley stage um, where you'll have Foley artists and they'll first listen to the rough cut of the film, like no sound, and then they have to start thinking, well, how do we add sound to it? And then they have to think up in different wacky ways of, of, of introducing those sounds, particularly when it's um, horror and gory. Mm. So that's probably where they break out the eggs and spaghetti and it's like the squelching sounds and stuff breaking. Uh, they had to do that for this podcast. So, And that's one of the things that were talked about in that after show. Um, they interviewed a folio artist at one point and they were saying what they had to do to, to get some of the sounds. But I can't remember how they did the, the claws, like, you know, the, you know, the, the, the yeah. snicked handgasms, as I like to call them. <laughs> no, it was, it, it was very interesting how they mixed up the, the Foley world, which was very much in the domain of the movies, with that of the old radio dramas where you, you had uh, plots that were very much driven by what people were saying. Yeah, I think they did a reasonably good job of that. Like, I never felt like... I didn't know what was happening, but I also feel like, as you pointed, the, the characters weren't doing that explaining and, and putting everything in the context and over the top, you know, in, in an uh, unnatural way. And certainly the actors did really well. Certainly first season I thought it was it, the actors did very well. I always, first season though, there was a few things that I really wasn't sure about. Like if this was meant to be Alaska, which is super cold. It's meant to be the long night, so it's winter. Mm. It never really... The cold and the night never really fed into, I think, the feeling of the story, even though, you know, there was that cult that was there that was looking for this, this you know, long night, that, that, that sort of aspect. So that felt like it could have been anywhere. And, in fact, sometimes when they talked about this green forest and, you know, they would find something or other, just the idea of the freezing cold temperature, it just was absent from mm. the, the story. Not that it particularly worried me but you know I, I i felt like if this was really alaska and this was like i would hear like the sound of of you know when you're in snow and you're stepping and you hear that sort of scrunchy sort of sound yeah um, and maybe um you could hear like frosty breaths from the characters a bit more yeah or just complaining about the fucking cold like yeah I, <laughs> well that oh yeah i can't well you know how the agents were the sentinels yeah yeah they couldn't complain about the cold no no that's a good point not that, not that um, there's a couple of things where they went, oh, you've been shot, but there's no blood. What's going on? Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like, yeah. But, and I remember one scene where um, one of the characters said, how can you look so far up the tree like that? 
So. so that was a bit of a tell. But I only came across that after listening to it for a second time. It's like, oh yeah. That's there was there was some there was some giveaways at the start and during the series. Yeah, that's it. I mean it it is did you listen to it twice? Is that what, what happened? So the first season, just to get a refresher for this episode that we're doing, I listened to it for a second time and then I wrangled the second series and listened to that for the first time. Ah, okay. Like I, I every bit of popular culture, and it's interesting here because we're actually talking about a team of artists. So um, every bit of popular culture tells you about the society it's from, tells yeah. you about its norms and its values. You, you so. do listen to the credits. It's like uh, there is actually an amount of people involved with this where you thought, okay, well, back in radio seri- serial days, uh, I'm not sure that there'd be such a compliment of, of people. I usually find it interesting when it is a big group of people because, um, you know, when you read a novel, you're really reading one person's perspective perspective and maybe you know an editor helping out and a few other people Mm. but i've always talked about when you read a comic book you're reading multiple voices you've got the writer you've got the artist and their relationship means that sometimes they're telling slightly different stories you've got the editor you know you've even got the letterer and their ability to to change the story so it's it's um a combined effort so certainly with this, it is. So, so my thing is that every bit of popular culture tells you about the society it's from, whether it intends to or not. It just can't help it because mm. it reflects the norms and the values. Mm. And then other bits of popular culture can also try and push those norms and values in certain directions. And I've talked about this before with you. I think when we're looking at Marvel and specifically um I think the new Disney, we're looking at an, a, a media arts organisation that is maybe not sharing progressive values to the point of, of what um, your listeners may may agree with, but are probably pushing some progressive values that are, are right on that edge of the, the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first episode is, or sorry, the first season is very much in that line in that there's an evil corporation and there's an evil industrial military complex. <laughs> like those two are pretty much... And a, and a very dodgy cult. Yeah, and, and a, but in the end, the cult, who, who cares? Like the cult really doesn't matter. Like you, <laughs> they're the red herring that you think it's about them, but in the end, they're really... I'm not even sure what... I can't even remember what the end result of the cult is other than the leader dies. They went back to the US and they created Nexium. I don't know. It's... But it's that standard. Oh, and I want to I want to do a future podcast talking about them. By the way, you know, oh. have you heard of Nexium? No, no. You remember the actress from Smallville? Oh, I do know what you're talking about now. Yeah, 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 yeah. If there wasn't a COVID, it would be all the rage. Right. Uh, there's a couple of documentaries, and um, yeah, I've just really been getting into it. I want to do a future podcast episode. On it. Anyway, I digress. Season one. So there's a cult. It doesn't really mean anything. It just helps to, you know, create the atmosphere and whatever. And, and But the, the, the main protagonists are there's an evil corporation, you know, run by, you know, an evil white guy and his sons, um, you know, which is that, <laughs> that, ridiculous, <laughs> that ridiculous one where it's a corporation it's pretty, that's It's pretty making, cogent social commentary so far. But it, it's a corporation that's making money, right? It's, it's, and it's um, a, a, a broad... It's involved in multiple businesses because they've got the lumber yard, they've got their boats, yeah. um, and so they're, they're, they're you know, running the town. They're, they're the important aspect of the town. The chief is in their pocket just because that's good for the town. Um, and, of course, you know, in actual fact, they're, they're running drugs and through, through their businesses because they're an evil corporation yeah. Uh, yeah. run by evil an evil white guy. Um, a bit more advanced than moonshine in the bowling ball as well, isn't it? So, and that's a classic villain in in the progressive Marvel age, right? Like mm. the Roxxon Company, which you see in the comics and stuff, like an evil multinational corporation. And then you've got the military-industrial complex with the the Sentinels and Weapon X. So th- this is which is a, a common aspect of the, the Wolverine much story. So. Very much so. And, and it's interesting because I have had debates with people about, because, you know, one of the default things is that superheroes are just reflective of the state, you know, and they support the state. And it's about, you know, tough on law and, law and order. Oh. And I always say, but the superheroes are there because the state is failing in some way. Yeah. And but 
Wolverine has always been the kind of character that provides almost like an accidental critique of those type of things. Like he's an anti-hero. He was certainly presented in this podcast as an anti-hero. So because of that, uh, there's room to actually explore the shades of grey in things. Because when you look at someone like Superman, it's like, okay, well, institutions have to be legitimate because that's what Superman stands up for. There can't be any criticism of those. I always feel like Wolverine, it's a bit overdone, right? In that all the horrible things he's done is when he's under mind control or when he was, you know, mind wiped or whatever. Like, you know, he, he's a weapon that's done horrible things, but it wasn't him doing it. It was him under control of other people. Yeah. But yet that's what haunts him that he's done these horrible things. But in reality, it wasn't really him. Well, I've got to say, he really did do the martyr thing a bit in the, in the two series, didn't he? Well, that, that is Wolverine, isn't it? It's woe is me. You know, I, 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 I was under my control and I did these horrible things and now I must pay for them. Like it's, well, I think most of us would go, well, it's not really my fault, is it? You know, <laughs> brainwashed me. Like, fuck, come on. Didn't, I, I didn't choose to do it. You know, like I... <laughs> When, when I make mistakes in my life, I'm very quick to find a reason why it's not really my fault. Yeah. You know? But Wolverine lacks that. He takes the full responsibility for things that are not his fault. And, you know, woe is me and I feel bad about it. And he's always looking for redemption, which usually means, I don't know, trying to help people or whatever. A real evil bastard backstory, but then he's trying to find redemption. But he's trying very hard for that redemption, almost to the point where, okay, but the contra- does he need to? The contradiction of him is it's, it's, it gets even worse for Wolverine because he's like, oh, my goodness, I did these horrible things while I was under the mind control of Weapon X. And you know what? I can't actually remember those things. So how do I know I've done? Like, he, he's, he's always looking for repentance for things he did that he can't even remember he did. Well, that was the appeal back in the 80s, though, because that was all a mystery. And it was only, it was like we're living in a time now where it's all been revealed. Yeah, yeah. But I remember growing up and collecting the Wolverine comics. I mean, the appeal for me was like, oh, we're getting little bits and bobs. Because in the 90s, they kind of did that, that they, they gave away tastes of his background. There is There is a theory with a superhero that what you need to do is give the appearance that their storyline is progressing and moving forward. But in reality, it can't move forward. They always have to stay the same. Mm. So Wolverine is always looking for this, I need to understand what I did. I need to understand my identity. And, of course, that stuff comes out every now and then and we get the story, but it, but then it gets clouded over again, you know, like it, what, did that really happen? And they've tried different gimmicks as well, removing his adamantium skeleton, like Magneto finally does the Captain Obvious thing, I think, in the mid-90s. Actually, that's what turned me off the comic book character Wolverine because losing his skeleton and and also the, the old man Logan stuff. Like, they do different types of Wolverine in a very Andy Warhol way, like see different colours of Wolverine and different spectrums and that sort of thing, all to get the readership. All, all to, to try and tell a new story without affecting the current story. Because the current story, so, so that's the thing I always... Actually, it reminds me of a, of a wrestler, like The Undertaker. Yeah, Like yeah. how many gimmicks did he got to go through? But he always ends up being the same. Yeah. Does that, yeah, yeah. Hulk Hogan, the same thing too. They all, they always end up in it. Well, and they, I mean, I do argue that actually wrestlers and superheroes do have something in common in regards to, to this aspect and what they say about society. But yeah, Wolverine can have these other stories, you know, stories about his origin, stories about his um, future, which, by the way, they will then get rid of and retell and whatever because they're always saying, well, that was a, that didn't actually happen, mm. so we can retell it because they've got to keep telling you Wolverine stories because well, it's a goldmine. The other scapegoat license thing that they can do this time around as well is say, oh, it was in a different reality. Oh, most definitely. I mean, that's, that's what that they've actually sold this podcast universe as Earth and gave it a special number. You know how they do that these days? It's like Earth that number and Earth that number. But like they do that in DC as well. That, that's the thing about so anytime so I remember as part of the the Civil War storyline where they killed off Captain America and I even remember Joe Simon, one of the original, you know, authors of Captain America saying, Oh my god, I can't believe they killed him. We really need him now. And it's like you all know that it's going to be 12 months max and he's back. Yeah. And and we all know that. I think maybe when Superman died the first time, it was a bit, oh, my God, this is incredible, you know. But even he came back. So, so that's, it's part of the trope of it. So you can never get too 
worried, you know, if they take Wolverine's skeleton away, you know, his, his ad, adamantium claws, like, don't worry, they're coming back. They have to come back. He has to stay the same. It gives you the sense of, of drama and that things are happening, but in reality, that character has to stay the same. Do, do you think maybe with the podcast there could be room to actually break some of those rules? It, it depends on what they want to do with it because... Disney and Marvel's job is to make money. Yeah. And the money is in the movies. I don't know how much money is in podcasts. I mean, but getting well, Richard Armitage to be in your podcast is pretty... I assume he got paid pretty well for that. I hope he got paid. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's still a, an experimental thing, but I think um, given Disney is what Disney does, I think they're definitely to try to dabble in different ways to why not yeah. make the money this 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 could be a new a new thing you know people could be could be into it it's interesting how people engage with media now so it was interesting with the first season where i very much felt we are we had the 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 tropes of a marvel comic the military industrial complex with the sentinels you know the the evil robots well, not, well, you know, that they represent the government and the military industry, mm. the evil uh, corporation, and that they're really the two villains of the story, more or less, one more than the other. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the villains turn out to be, you know, three uh, white men, you know, one that is just an evil patriarch, one which I think he was, I think he was a rapist, uh, and then one that is his brother who... Who turns out to be a werewolf. So, so it, it was those those tropes and those you know common storylines, which for me has always been certainly in the Marvel universe, where where they're able to um, you know critique. There wasn't a very detailed critique here, but there is a critique about you know military, the critique about um, uh, the corporation and and uh, and that there in the first season. Um, which there's is there's just a bit of deep state stuff going on, isn't there? Yeah, and that's that's typical of a Marvel comic. I think that that's what you expect to find in a Marvel comic. I always find that Marvel comic is a little bit more critical of the state, and you know, often is um, you know has that history of the Roxxon Corporation and then being used as the evil corporation, mm. which we're even seeing currently. You know, it always comes up in Captain America comics. Interestingly, are the mutant. Um, but that, that was it. There was no commentary too much about mutant difference. Mutant difference? Well, you know, the uh, the idea of mutants in the Marvel Universe representing race or representing queer and this idea of them being... And so, so this is goes back to supposedly... He definitely did say it. Stanley talked about the origin of Professor X and Magneto, yep. and that Professor X represented Martin Luther King and Magneto rep represented Malcolm X, right? And then this idea about, you know, um, African-American rights and, you know, that that um, Professor X is like Martin Luther King, we need to live together, that that's what we need to do, and, you know, Malcolm X and Magneto being, no, there needs to be separation, we need to have our own place sort of thing. So often when you get... A Marvel mutant story that is going to be part of it. The exclusion of mutants in society, the discrimination against them, um, the fear of them. But in season one, that I didn't think that was a very big theme. Yeah, there wasn't too much social coding in the in the podcast. But we're two lefty geeks, John. I think for us, it, it poses a bit of a tension here, like in terms of what podcasts can do as a medium for these comic book characters whether it could explore things at a different angle or actually take a bit more of a political trajectory. I've got this thought, and if I had a, a third season of Wolverine podcasts in mind, I would do this. You know in the news you hear about Ellen Page, right? Or Elliot Page now. Yep. Now, Elliot played Kitty Pride in the X-Men movies. It would be freaking awesome if in the third season Wolverine connects with Kitty Pride because those two hung around with each other a lot in the 80s, didn't they? But in this version of Kitty Pride, it's a transgender mutant. Well, see, this is an interesting, and it would be an interesting storyline. And before I want to go there, I just, did you, did you get any political signposts in season one? 
did anything stand out as like, oh, they're actually trying to to say something? Not really. I think it was more. It felt more like an exploratory exercise. Um, that just listening through it, it was about for me. It was about really delineating some of the old radio serial stuff and some of the new uh, approaches that a podcast would take. And as I mentioned earlier, that idea of using foley artists. Um, not uh, having to spell everything out like it was in the radio serials. So it was more an examination of how the medium was being used rather than actual any effective use of storytelling. Well, I don't know. What What do you think, well, John? I, I think that the thing I said before, which is the evil corporation, mm. the evil military, you know, state or, you know, um, industrial complex the local law enforcement in league with the evil corporation and mm. the evil corporation being headed by, you know, a white uh, male. The other thing that was worth noticing in the, in the first season is um, the native Alaskan people and the fact that, you know, they were leading protests about the forest being cut down and they were right. You shouldn't cut it down. Now, this is not radical stuff for a comic book and I would actually suggest most of the time when you read a comic, you, you're going to see these sort of progressive lefty leanings. Yeah, that, it was nothing out of the ordinary for me, so that's why nothing really twigged when I was it, listening that's to it. it. And, that's, and that's something that I often like write about, which is actually comic books, even though people sometimes think, you know, they're right-wing, you know, fascist fantasies. In reality, the storylines usually sort of lean this way. So I will agree, like, season one didn't have anything overtly political and certainly didn't explore that analogy of, of mutants and racism. But I think season two did a little bit more. Yeah, and plus it also harked back to the old-fashioned Wolverine trope of doing his Doctor Who thing where he has the sidekick. Yep, yep. And that's where Wolverine becomes a bit more human because he has to kind of look after the offsider who more often than not more vulnerable than what Wolverine is. And they didn't play it as the damsel in distress. You know, the woman that he was trying to save was actually able to defend herself. Mm. It was, yeah, young, a young man, a boy, like a, I think a 17-year-old boy. I think the Marcus is meant to be that old in yeah. um, Season two. And a black Creole kid as well, yeah. um, which I think was quite interesting because that didn't seem very hackneyed. I mean, they could have done the, the full gumbo, oh, I guarantee type thing, but they didn't really do that. They tweaked it a bit. That was nice. At first I was worried it was going in that direction. I went, oh, no, don't give me this stereotype. Like, it's really... Oh. But, it, but it, it steered away from that. There's a couple, I think, in season two. One, we start to play with the mutants... As a, as a metaphor for... And the mutant discrimination against mutants as a metaphor for racism. So we have Bonnie and the cold-blooded who sound like Trump-ish sort of racists who even talk about... Yeah. Remind me of Charleston where they actually... She was saying, mutants will not replace us. Yep, these so are the proud boys. That's it, right? And they're, <laughs> and they're out there and their whole thing is... The government's trying to use them. So, and actually, this is where I started to think, oh, maybe they're playing with this. But the government's trying to use them to get their own ends. Yeah. But then realises that actually this group of people, is uh, they're uncontrollable. They, yeah. they won't do what they're told. And they're doing this for hate. Yeah. They're, there's no other objective in that. They just hate mutants and they just want to kill them. Yeah, and it's all very black and white. That, and kill anyone who's associated. So if you're an ally of a mutant, you're... So I felt like, all right, we're, we're, this is an interesting... Racism, and then and then Bonnie, the the character, I think her name was Bonnie, talks about you know in her old days her family owned a big plantation and a big house and they had to lose it and ah. so, so it was really playing into that you know white fear of being replaced by you know African American people in in so, the South that that so I felt there so was so there was that antebellum hangover shit going on as well yeah yeah so I felt I felt all right we're playing with it more there. Um, so that was interesting because, of course, in the, as I said, in season one, there's only two mutants, and we only really find out that one of them's a mutant, you know, the big finale. Yeah. Um, but this one, you know, we get Gambit, uh, who, let's be honest, does nothing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, he's asleep for about three episodes, I think. Yeah. Um, and sounds like Bill Compton um, from True Blood a lot, but I guess that's that South. 
southern accent. Uh, apparent, yeah, actually, it is a famousish actor. It's the guy who um who was a lead character in the Three Hundred. Which one? Um, I haven't really watched the show, but it was the cop. There was a cop in there, wasn't there? The Three Hundred. Yeah, I'm thinking of the movie. No, it was a series. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm probably absolutely getting this wrong because um, I'm useless at the shows that I don't watch. The Leftovers. I think it's The oh, Leftovers. Okay. Have you watched that? No, no, no. So. All right. I think there was the lead character was a cop and, yeah, the, ca- the actor who plays that is the voice of Gambit. If anyone just listened to that and they were, like, going, these fucking idiots, it's The it's, it's Leftovers, The Leftovers. <laughs> You just you just keep talking, John. <laughs> we we don't have a producer here to actually search and make sure we know what we're talking about. I'm putting my producer hat on, John. Keep talking. Um, all right. Talk so we, about the social commentary of season two, John. So we have so we have the racism, the commentary on racism, um, in there, which I think you know, setting it in the south is is very much allows you to do that um, very well with a. American-based story. so And that, again, is not uncommon for, for a mutant X-Men, you know, comic storyline to talk about that. Um, there was a couple of little signposts which I always find interesting. One, there was that tiny character, Flamingo the Drag Queen, who turns out to be Wolverine's friend and is supposedly a, a sharpshooter, former bodyguard or something yeah that was an interesting um that was an interesting character and that was a new one that wasn't a that wasn't lifted from the comics was it no i don't think so although maybe maybe it is maybe we should have done the research and had a look no i remember um trying to do a bit of a back research on them and so they didn't really show up but uh whilst whilst you i I mentioned that so one 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 this guy yeah he is sorry he is the the lead in the leftovers okay thanks very. there we go we're not going to have any triggered audience members today (laughs) that's Maybe maybe you should intention we should intentionally say something wrong so that someone goes in the comments and how dare you guys you know um, well we're gonna do that that Scott Morrison debate in a future episode let's actually just that. like sell the fact I he actually did shit his dax he so did it uh, <laughs> it's just it's just more of that Scott Morrison I'm like he doesn't poop he's never pooped he doesn't poop like you and me um, anyway so. That, that was interesting in that this flamingo, this character, this, this dragon. So I usually find when I'm looking at a character and I'm trying to think about, okay, what, what are the writers doing here? It's one, how's the character presented and how do we react to it? So flamingo is a hero. Um, yes, stereotype, you know, drag queen accent and whatever, but is a hero in the storyline, does the right thing. So, so that, that's how we're meant to react to it. Then it's how do the characters react to it? So Wolverine clearly likes Flamingo. Marcus very quickly says positive things about Flamingo. So the characters in the show react positively to this character. So I think there's something there. Like even though Flamingo is a, a tiny character, who knows if we'll, we'll hear from Flamingo again. Well, he was quite loyal. He was loyal, wasn't he? Well, that's right, right? Uh, and actually there's an interesting part where someone called Flamingo she. And I and I just I caught it like and it was and there wasn't any commentary like do you mean he or she like it was just mm. their gender was and I thought all right that's that's pretty good right because I always find it interesting when you see something happen in a TV show or a, a movie in a way that is like this is the way it should be but it's not the way it is so I talk about the Hunger Games I remember talking this to my students saying no one in the Hunger Games ever says. Wait a sec, how is Katniss a 15-year-old girl going to win this? She's a 15-year-old girl. No one ever says that, right? So it, 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 that society is more, like, progressive than our society in regards to thinking about whether Katniss could win the Hunger Games. Well, there's that um, at a popular cultural level now, and I've noticed this over the last year or so with some of the shows that I've been watching, There is the, there seems to be, like, that embedded acceptance now of transgender roles. Right, that's it. Transgender characters, transgender actors. And this is where I say that those two things I talk about, uh, pop culture will reflect its society. So someone might say, hey, this is reflecting the change we're seeing. Yeah. Well, I actually say, you know what? Society isn't actually that accepting. We want it to be. This is actually the writers trying to push us in the direction. Yeah, and that's that's still the tension because there will be um, some pretty fucked up audience members that will kind of go, 
oh, no, no, you've gone too far. It's not that normal. That's right. So so when Flamingo is presented in a way that there is no commentary, it's just accepted, everyone's happy, the, the gender, the right gender um, label is used, I'm looking at going, okay, this is a writer specifically doing it, saying this is the way it should be. Yeah. This is the way people should, should react. This is the way your mate... Wolverine reacts like be like Wolverine. Like it's a, it's it's a it's not just a reflection. It's a push. Yeah, actually, I'm going to do one last go off a tangent for this okay. episode. I want to talk about the Saved by the Bell reboot. You watch Saved by the Bell, John? I have probably seen maybe four or five episodes in my life, so I know the basic stereotypes of the character. There's there's Slater who is. Um, Mario Lopez, is that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then there's the blonde-headed guy who is the cool guy. Yeah. And then there was uh, three girls. Uh, one was in some showgirls or something like that. Like that's what – <laughs> yes. and, then, and then there's Screech and then there's the principal. So I know who they are. Yeah. I couldn't tell you a storyline of any episode, but I imagine it is the cool guy is cool. And it all works out in the end. All right. So in the reboot, okay. they turn everything on its head. Oh. So those characters... Have they, they? They've got me already. <laughs> those characters, they've been shunted as supporting characters because at the end of the day, they're quite boring. Their interests in life are quite banal. They're privileged. They get shunted back into the support line, becoming the main characters. A couple of black people, Latino, actually... The exact ethnic opposite of Zach Boren is the lead character. Oh, okay. Um, so Latinx lady, underprivileged background. Actually, it is a bit of a, a bizarre way that they've actually introduced these characters. But um, Zach Morris has grown up. So it's basically like, you know, 20 or 30 years in, into the future. Like, So it's Zach Morris's son, which is basically Zach Morris that's in the show. But Zach Morris makes a couple of guest appearances and he's now the governor of California. But he's an asshole because when you actually have a think about the shows, he did some real asshole things. Like he was a scam artist. Like he was like an evil Ferris Bueller. He was supposed to be a ripoff of Ferris Bueller, but... He took it further and he just did some real arsehole scammy things. And there's actually an interesting YouTube series that, that really pulls that apart uh, called Zach Morris is Trash. I might actually put a link for that in there because I've just been watching that. I'm addicted to it and I, I can't stop laughing. Anyway, I digress. Actually, another further digression is that the writer from Zach Morris's Trash was actually brought on as one of the writers for this Save by the Bell reboot. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you can appreciate why in this reboot, Zach Morris is the bad guy who's brought up this brat kid that's basically a clone of Zach Morris. His name's Mac Morris, of course. But anyway, they're all in the background. Now, the other main character that I haven't talked about is a transgender character. And there's actually a lot of substance there because... While she is also of a privileged background, because immediately you can have a look at them and go, oh, bloody hell, it's like another airhead. The more you get to learn about them in future episodes, like she has her own reality show, which is based upon how she makes the transition. Because at first you thought, oh, this is just a Kardashian knockoff. But then it's like, okay, well, here's the big reveal here with the reality show. They actually talk about the transition. And suddenly here's a character with substance. Now... The actor who plays that character, who is also transgendered, of course, they've been brought on as an executive producer to make sure that the character has actually got some legitimacy. It isn't like a something out of a, a really bad different strokes rehash. So a, a very sensible choice there. So that's where I'm coming from with shows pushing this theme of transgender acceptance and anything that could very easily be marginalised as it was not too long ago, yeah, yeah. is being encouraged as the norm. And that's why I like this Save by the Bell reboot. I've just spent about five to ten minutes talking about it, but I can't talk enough about it. Well, I think it's worth, when we talk about Wolverine Season 2, to note that Flamingo is a tiny character that's there for, like, what, half an episode, if that. And But is there. It's something that's worth just going, oh, okay. Because I think I always... Talked about, you know, there are radical comics out there that are incredibly left-wing, right? And five people read them. But there's a Captain America comic that thousands of people read, and if it's slightly more left than mainstream, I think that's more interesting to me. 
And you're going to piss off a lot of the readership who like consistency or they get triggered. Well, this is where you just think about who is the the audience for a Wolverine podcast and how are they – is this going to influence them or any way? Are they even going to notice? Another thing that struck me in there is they start talking about, you know, where they met each other and stuff and they don't say Israel. They say, oh, you know, remember Palestine, remember Palestine. Now, I don't know if that is – intentional but i assume that it is and whether that is again just that little sort of the writers waving at someone in the audience like letting them know hey we're trying to to do something here um but yeah i think marvel at disney certainly disney have a lot of that overhang from you know nazis and mickey and you know the 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 sort of stuff of the past but if you look at what they're putting out now it's some it's some interesting stuff that certainly fits more with that liberal progressive view of the world again it's still not it's not going to satisfy us right like superheroes there's a really great series called class war which basically was you know about the military industrial complex which is really direct you're going to get touches on that in marvel comics but you're never going to get it enough to satisfy you know a left-wing perspective but you're going to see these sort of signs so that's what i was seeing there with you know, a positive um, a depiction of a, a drag queen, uh, a reference to Palestine and not Israel when they're talking about their military backgrounds. Um, yeah, there's some interesting stuff happening there. Oh, oh. But capital is malleable, John. Capitalism is malleable. Oh, most definitely, you know. And there's, it's one of those things when you think about a corporation like Disney, like ultimately they're there to make money, mm. you know. And certainly I think they know that, you know, you're telling... You know, there's this argument that America is, in in its sense, a, a, a centre-left country but just has a very centre-right politics because you look at the popular culture that they consume, it is very much like this. Like the right-wing bullshitty sort of stuff doesn't really fly anymore. don't know. Um, I'm generalising far too much. and I, I, think, uh, I think this is grounds for a future episode probably, John, but I think a lot of stuff that can emerge as, as popular cultural material, particularly in the comics, is often acting against the administration at the time. The grander theme I'm trying to say here is that often pop culture will just play at something and oppose a greater order of things no matter if it's on the left or if it's on the right. Yeah, I don't know if... I certainly see when the right, and I mean politically right, um, when we look at American politics, Democrats and Republicans, I certainly see when then the Republicans are in government. Fuck, we got political. It, it's. <laughs> I thought I was going to have a holiday this episode. But you do see popular culture reacting against that ideology and 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 that. But at the same time, I think when, like, I I can like I suggest that certainly I think season two makes a commentary or the season two of this podcast makes a commentary about you know the racism we saw saw in Charleston like that that the cold blooded are meant to be that. They're meant to represent that, that racist part of America. They speak to that. They talk about being replaced. They talk about their past glories. But they're, they're horrible. They're horrible and, and, you know, you're sort of happy when they get killed off. And, and certainly when you see Frank Miller's work, um, you know, Dark Knight Returns, you can see that as a reflection on, on um, Reagan and, and Reagan is in the comic um, himself. And certainly the Captain America comics of that time as well, of Reagan's uh, comics, were very much opposing his his ideologies uh, about the American dream. When Obama's in power, I don't know if I see too many... I don't remember seeing popular culture that was really pushing against that. Yeah, we'd have to have a bit more of a think about that, John, and bookmark it. And, and look, maybe that... And that might be... Like, I'm always looking for uh, commentary against Obama and against the Obama administration and against that idea, like that sort of liberal ideology. I guess it's interesting, right? Because there is always that American commentary about the domination of the state. And on both sides, right? There's this fear of a right wing state and the fear of a left wing state. Yeah. So, look, this is what I found, right? When 
so my thesis I studied was basically looking at comic books from 9-11 up until the election of Obama. And the interesting thing was comic books had some really interesting narratives, right? So after 9-11, it goes very macho, um, where previously before 9-11, it was much more, you were more likely to have like female superheroes leading the Avengers and stuff. After 9-11, it goes much, much more macho, right? All the, the big male heavy hitters come back into the fore. Then you have this interesting period, like because there's a moment after 9-11 where there's no room to critique. Everyone has, you're with us or you're against us. And all of American society pretty much says, we're with you, right? That that the 9-11 attacks are so dramatic, right? And the same, so, so this is where, you know, all these Democrats have these horrible uh, situations and they all voted for the war in Afghanistan. Well, that, and that's where the boys gets a bit more so, social commentary based because in the comic particularly you kind of see the consequences of what happens when you follow people unconditionally that's when you're right. for them. But my point is all these critiques of 9-11 come out in 2005. Mm. No one was brave enough to make those critiques at 9-11 and those that did got fucked over so bill maher had a tv show uh and and then um he had it wasn't even him it was a commentator on it Mm. and they attacked this idea of the terrorists being cowards and he lost his tv show like they basically just cancelled it and the first thing that happened was of course people complained that someone had said that on tv and then all the sponsors, so the corporate money just pulled out of the show and then it was cancelled. And then he came back and became libertarian. Well, yeah. Um, but, you know, so the boys, you know, Civil War, which is, is a commentary on, on 9-11, which is that idea of, you know, do you remember the, the Civil War, the, the movie is okay. Civil War, the comic book, was amazing. Yeah, I just had to remember when the, the, the comic came out in the mid-2000s, didn't it? Yeah, about 2005, I think. I would have to go and check, but around there... So enough time has gone and, you know, the thing is there's a, a disaster caused by, you know, superheroes and, and Iron Man says, right, we have to give up our identities and, and give up our freedoms to the state and Captain America says, no, 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 freedoms is important and they have a fight and Captain America loses. I'm actually going to make a pop culture prediction and think in Spider-Man 3 they're actually going to do a riff on that, that famous panel where um, Peter Parker takes the mask off yeah. in front of the TV. It's like, it's true. I am he. So that was a good commentary, right? The boys and that about, you know, we gave up our freedom and so forth. Yeah. And and there was a lot of drama and stuff. So you have Captain America die, you have Batman die and similar sort of stories because the American dream is broken. And then once Obama is elected, Marvel Comics actually change their tune and say we're going back to the new heroic age. So all the stories that were critiquing about how dark and, and hard it is, Marvel actually came out and said we're going to tell positive stories again. Ah. So that's my thing where, where you know, and then, to be honest, that's where my thesis ended. Well, that, and even that's, though that's kept, the right-wing counterbalance then, isn't it, in yeah. popular culture? And even though I've kept reading comics since then, um, the comics in Obama areas were not very, you know, didn't really critique much. Um, it was more about um, musicals. They tried to do... Hamilton. They tried to do the election of um, Trump. Marvel tried to do something with Captain America, the the where he's actually a secret Hydra agent. Ah, oh, okay, yeah, but they yeah. fucked it over because the thing with Captain America is is he he needs to be the hero. So when they made him the villain, which is what they were trying to say, right? Which is, you know, America. There's something dark within us, and it's Trump and it's racism, and so they're trying to use Captain America. Reflect that the readers just reject. Yeah, the John the the Save by the Bell reboot does it so much better. That's. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. Have, is Screech in it? Um, there was some bad blood there in the end. Uh, no, there's two key characters that did not make it. Uh, one is the old principal, um, but I think there's valid reasons there because he's in retirement age. Uh, the second one that is a more telling admission is Screech. Um, I think it's because. The other characters just had Jack of him, particularly with that alleged tell-all book, uh, which I think later on down the track was discovered that a lot of it was just basically Screech and the ghostwriter, uh, ghostwriter bullshitting. Mm. Um, surprised they didn't sue the pants off him, but um, maybe 
My, what I understand, his pants were already off. So, <laughs> well, that might have been it. I think. Um, I think the other his uh, other actor colleagues just kind of went into the fact that this guy's just gonna. This guy just ended up giving himself enough rope anyway. But by the end of it, he just uh, didn't get a buy-in with this reboot. But who knows? Maybe in future episodes, they um they might uh, give him a pity casting. But. It would be interesting if he did turn up in future episodes. But, yeah, very interesting show. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and funnily enough, if you want to watch a, a piece of pop culture that actually does have a good take on the Trumpageddon, it is that reboot. I am looking... Because f- Zach Morris is trash. I'm looking forward to... So this is, And this is... I certainly think this is happening in the pandemic. It's really hard to make sense of of something when you're in it. Okay, the the Trump presidency, we haven't yet agreed on what it means, um, and I think what we're going to have happen is that once he's out of office, um, and I think people are still afraid that that may not happen. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how popular culture deals with him. Is he? Is it going to be that? Oh my God! We got drunk and we ended up with this guy, and who can believe it? You know, is it going to be? Well, actually, there is a a dark underbelly within America that's going to be dealt. Like, there's all these different things. <laughs> and this is where I think we can um, come to a, a conclusion with our episode. So you, here, you John. don't you don't want to talk for another two hours about? <laughs> no. Are you because other, are you rather like? Are your other podcasts like when you record them? Because I we clearly record a lot that you don't need, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm very happy with, as you know. Like I'm I'm I've got no drama with, but 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 when people are listening to the twenty minutes distilled episode, actually, I've minutes, been creeping up with the the episode lengths. Um, I don't know whether that's just laziness or um, it's like uh, yeah, okay, well maybe um, maybe some of the content that we're actually talking about does. Matter. It, it uh, there being extension in the duration of the episodes. I think the content of your other episodes <laughs> deserve <laughs> probably more than than deserve, right? Not should get deserve more time. Okay, maybe, but but then, then us talking about popular culture. Although my my thing is like I really think this this will especially because news and media like news media who gives a fuck anymore? Like it's just shit. Yeah. We all know it's shit. Even the good stuff is shit. You know, I really think making sense of the world, honestly, TV shows, movies, podcasts, these are actually the things I'm, I'm, I, I find more valid now. Right. I'm going to conclude with this, John. It's probably going to potentially um, create a bookend for perhaps a future episode. We're living in a world where we're, um, we're spoilt for choices of different entertainment mediums and Most also definitely. the introduction of new mediums. Mm-hmm. We spent a, a fair whack of this episode, and I think the design of this episode was supposed to be talking about the Wolverine podcast. Um, but I think what we've introduced at the end there is the idea of the subversive political merits of streaming television because the Save by the Bell reboot, that's... That's streaming TV. And I know there's a few TV episodes. <laughs> you give me just, that look. It's like he's, I'm just, getting scorched by another take here. I just realised what's happening. I, but, just, I just worked it out. But, uh, but you, you made me listen to the Wolverine podcast and that was the gateway and I agreed <laughs> to it. I'm going to be watching a Saved by the Bell reboot, aren't I? And you're going to say, John, this is what I want to talk about. You need to watch these 10 episodes and then we can we can debate it. That, yep. That's where we're going. Yep, and then get yourself onto YouTube and watch Zach Morris's Trash and there's your there's your Trump commentary right there. This, this sounds like the sort of shit that I want to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was my jack-in-the-box plot. For you, John, but that's that's what I'm trying to drive at here. Where I think we, we we're expecting and hoping that that the podcasts podcast drama as a medium can take that subversive turn. Perhaps we didn't see it so much in the in the Wolverine podcast series, but it's still new. Are you going to listen to the the third? Well, now the new one that they're bringing out. Um, 
Is it the Fantastic Four or? I think it is. I think it's um, based on that that Marvel's comic series, um, which was the idea of trying to look at superheroes through, through as as these mythic godlike figures. So through the viewpoint of you know the normal everyday citizen. See if it's if they talk more about the characters um, and the family dynamic of the Fantastic Four and how they're trying to come to terms with their powers um, and how Doctor Doom might be the the black sheep uncle type character. Maybe it might have appeal for me, but if it's just going to be something where it's like Johnny Storm goes around going, oh, I'm on fire, flame on, um, and then tries not to set himself alight when he hooks up with some chick, then... Um, yeah, that's not going to be that's going to be boring for Seriously, me. Seriously, if you were made of fire, that would be a serious issue. <laughs> that would be a serious because because is it? I've always is it him saying flame on right that that turns his flame on? That doesn't seem right. Seems like he can turn the flame on whenever he wants. He just says flame on to just oh, you know. Well, he's giving himself of, a psychological a bit cue, of a pizzazz, which means you know maybe you know. Things involuntarily happen when you're with a lady and you're a guy that can put yourself on fire. That could be really, really dangerous. You need to watch the boys, John. Well, this is I'm I'm how many episodes in? I'm I'm about three or four episodes in, but the problem is with the little guy around Ah. Uh, I, I can only watch it sort of when he's gone to bed or whatever. Yeah, so. definitely not. And, I, um, and I've just got Amazon Prime and um, when I had Netflix, or I do still have Netflix, like I had The Expanse, and I love those books. Ah, and so I watched the first two seasons. I haven't watched any more, so I'm going through The Expanse at the moment and just going, oh, I remember how much I love the visuals of that show. But anyway, mm. I will watch The Boys. Mm. Um, well, that, that's your Boys is my Expanse. Like, um, I think you're very, uh, very much advanced along with the, the Expanse stuff. But that's something I'm, I've been trying to get into, just haven't gotten around to it. If if I don't know if you're going to use any of what we're doing, we're just chatting. Um, so, so it's, you, there's definitely going to be the bit where it's like I sing Zach Morris's trash. That's getting in there. If you want to, if you want to, I was going to say if you want to do a wind up and stuff, and I won't talk. <laughs> we could do that in a sec. But the books are actually the Expanse books are really good if you like a good sci-fi yeah. politics. Because yeah, I've, I've got, read the I've read the first book. Ah, uh, cool. Have you? All right. Yeah. It's yeah, yeah. it's it's a very interesting political take on the future. Yeah, um, because yeah, yeah. often the trope is is that the future is is fucked up or it's utopian and everything's shiny, um, but um, there is a quite a substantial universe there which um, which talks about um, an inter interstellar class based economy. I really yeah the 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 the, the geopolitical... future episode John. Oh, we can talk about but. All right, future episode, we'll do The Expanse. I mean, I'm really happy to, to if we do this thing where we pick a popular culture like we did with this podcast and maybe we can stay more on track because we wanted to. But we do this. I think go, what's happened here, John, is that I've spent like um, all the previous episodes so far talking about DNM political stuff um, and I've, I've let slip the dogs of war and we're talking about the popular culture stuff, which is... Which is definitely a wheelhouse of ours. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, it's like we just don't know how to stop. Well, I'll be honest, man. I really think the political aspect of popular culture and what it says about us as humans and philosophy and politics and stuff is is fundamentally interesting. Like without without that stuff, I find it it just becomes a bit. Yeah, it just doesn't. But but I guess I see it a lot more than I think other people do. So as I said, you know, in season two of, of like season one was like, all right, cool, this is a cool story. There's a couple of you know references to the usual sort of stuff, but season two, I thought, all right, they really went with that race element, you know, and we didn't even get to talk about Jason Wingard and the fact that he's convincing, you know, the 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 mutants to all stay there together and you know that sort of aspect of it. And actually, uh, he is a comic book character, that guy. Yeah, 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 mastermind. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I love I love that aspect of it. So I love the political aspect of popular culture to the point of I would love for you and I as one episode to sit down and talk about the politics of Adventure Time. 
Okay. The 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 and I think that in itself would be there's a lot going on there. Some of it really good and progressive and wonderful, and some of it going actually this is a bit fucked up. What's happening here? So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's do your wind up so we can. All right. Well, well we can we can do that. Uh, we're going to have to try to factor in the the Scomo debate somewhere in there, um, possibly before the next uh, federal election, which I suspect will be at the arse end of next year. Is, um, that, is that a pun? We're going to do the Scomo debate arse end of next year. Is that? <gasps> Should I actually press the right button? That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and if you play your cards right, John. We could talk about professional wrestling. Oh, my God. Do you know? Do you know? Oh, I'll tell you stuff later. Yeah. But but how many parts? <laughs> we could start a whole different podcast on it. Yeah. But, but. I, I promise you, John, I promise you that we'll talk about professional wrestling in a future episode. Okay. I'm getting excited. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I th- I've got an optimistic John now, um, and um, I like a happy John, so I might um, I might end it on that one. Um, but in the meantime, stay safe, everybody, and hopefully we might talk a bit more popular culture because it's been a bit more fun to balance that out with the DNM political stuff. Catch you later, everyone. Yeah.